Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. Poor, poor Jess. I don't know about you. I've been loving this series so far with some of those clips. And I can also so often relate to some of those times where you've got a task to do, you've got a time limit to do it in. And if you don't do it, then you're going to be punished for it. Unfortunately, poor, uh, like poor Jess. Hey, I can feel like a taskmaster sometimes, can't you? Where there are just things that have to be done. There's a time limit where you have to do it. And if you don't do it, then it's going to feel like your world is not going to spin in the way that you want it to spin anymore. There's a whole array of different tasks that we have to do in order that life has to happen. Maybe you relate to some of those. Maybe you're a parent and you have tasks every morning to get your kids out of bed, dressed, fed, entertained, and then get to, uh, get them to school in a presentable manner. Maybe you're someone who has a job where it's just project after project after project, and you've just got to get it done. Maybe you're someone who has that advisory or the MOT or the service on the car that has to happen before that long trip. Maybe it's just the garden shed. Whatever it is, there are tasks in life that we just feel like we need to do. And so we're in this series called Taskmaster because we believe that whilst God is a God who wants to come through for us in the big moments of life, he's also a God who wants to be with us in the small moments of life as well, in the tasks and the daily challenges that we face. And so last week, Steve kicked off the uh, series for us, looking at the challenges that we might face in marriage. And he said something brilliant. He picked up on one of Jesus's teachings and said, actually, this is an attitude that we need to have in every day that we face. And this is the the challenge that Steve told us. He said that the question we need to ask is, what would a humble person do in this situation? What would a humble person do in this situation? So whether you're married or not, I think that's great advice. But that's how Steve kicked off the series last week. And so this week, we're going to be expanding things a little bit more uh, and slightly uh, into a broader, more diverse area of life and ask the question, how is it that we can face the challenges of life? How is it that we can face the tasks of life? Where is it that God is going to show up in the day-to-day, big, bad world of busyness? And so if you're new to uh, The Forge or if you've just stumbled upon our stream today, I just want to bring you in a little bit to a frustration that I think probably seasoned churchgoers would have with people like me. I mean, when people like me stand up and start speaking about busyness, I imagine there's a very valid thought that goes through a lot of people's minds that's probably causing them to want to switch off already at the moment. And that's this. They're probably thinking, you just don't know how I feel. You don't know what it's like for me. And that's a really valid complaint and a really valid point. I don't know what it feels like to be you. I'm aware that I have it pretty good when it comes to a world of busyness. And so whilst there are definitely weeks where I will be busy, I haven't got kids. I'm not responsible for anybody else's life. I'm not married, so I don't need to try and work out schedules for more than just me. I'm not self-employed, so there aren't times in my life where I just think if this doesn't get done, then then nobody's going to do it. The reality is that you will probably uh, be thinking throughout this talk at some point, you just don't know what it's like for me. And that is true. But here is something that I do know. I know that you don't like feeling busy. And I know that whatever busyness looks like for you and however stressful that can be, you don't like it. And the reason I know that is because six months ago in a stranger world where people could meet together, and we used to do these things called Sunday services where everyone used to gather physically, I would often ask people a question. And the question would be this. The question I'd ask is, how's your week been? 
And the number one answer I would get would be busy. And I'd say, good busy or bad busy? And they would just say, busy, busy. And then I'd ask them, so how do you feel? Like, what's life like at the moment? How, you know, how are you feeling? And they would say this. And number one answer, 100%, would just be this. Tired. Busy and tired. And I just think if aliens came down and they followed me around for uh, Sunday afternoons or Sunday mornings where I'd ask these people questions, at the end of the day, they would be like, wow, human beings really love to be busy and tired because everyone seems to be doing it. And often I would say, hey, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? And everyone would just be like, no, not really. And if aliens came to this earth, they would just think, hey, these people love to be busy and they love to be tired because they're not doing anything about it. And so whilst I don't know how you feel, I know that you don't feel good. I know that you don't want to feel like this anymore. And it makes me ask the question, why is it for all of us, if we don't like feeling busy, and yet we're so often busy, why is that the case? And I think the case is this. I think we often see busyness as a badge of honor that nobody likes to bear, but everybody feels like they have to wear. Busyness has become a badge of honor that everybody, uh, nobody likes to bear, but everybody feels that they have to to wear. And I think the reason that we often feel like we have this badge of busyness and people ask how we are and we just say we're busy, I think there's probably a few different reasons for this. But I think it ultimately comes down to another one word, and the word is this, fear. I think there's fear that kind of pushes us to feel busy. Let me kind of explain what I'm talking about. Maybe you relate to one of these different things. When you're feeling busy, when it's 24-7, back-to-back, no break, no let-up, one day merging into another because of all of the different tasks, maybe you fear that if you're not busy, you're going to be perceived as lazy. Or maybe you're someone who's busy because you want to be perceived in a way that looks productive and you have a certain amount of your character on the line where you want to be perceived as somebody who's productive and good at what they do. And so you're afraid that if you drop the badge of busyness, then then are you going to drop part of yourself as well? Or maybe you're just someone who fears, actually, if I don't do this, then what's going to happen as a result? It turns out that we all bear this badge of busyness that none of us like to bear, but we all like to fear, but everyone fears they have to wear. We all fear that we have to wear it. And so whilst I don't know how you feel, I know that when we feel busy, we don't often want to feel that way. But there is somebody, there is somebody who does know how you feel, and actually they want to speak into your life and speak into a way in which there is a better way to live where God wants to speak into those moments, into those tasks, into our lives. Not just concentrating on a position, not just concentrating on what we do, but also concentrating on a pace of life. Before we get to that though, let me ask you a question. If someone was to write down a story of your life, a biography that people were going to read, and they were going to incorporate the most important moments of your life, what would they write? What would they put into that book so that people would read it and think, man, what this person did was a good thing or a productive thing or, or an impressive thing? What would they write? I reckon if you actually put some thought to it, it wouldn't be so depressing. You'd probably think, oh, actually, there's a little bit there that they'd probably include this moment. They might include my marriage or they might include when I had a child or they might include that really difficult moment in my life that I came through or they might even include the moment that I'm living in now. Chances are, though, that they wouldn't include the moments where you slept. Chances are that they wouldn't write down the moments where you rested, the moments where you just laid out on the sofa, the moments where you watched that sports team or the moment that you went fishing or whatever it is. But here's the thing. When Jesus was on earth, 
He had people who would write down an account of his life just because it was so phenomenal. The accounts of Jesus' life that we know as the Gospels are some of the most transformational, fundamental documents that we have in all, uh, of all time in all of the earth. Jesus's story is truly phenomenal. And you think the people who wrote down Jesus's story probably had a lot to say. I mean, what would they write? I mean, it's got to be the miracles. It's got to be the moments where he healed people. It's got to be the moments where he preached the good news or whatever it was. It's got to be the moment where he died and rose again. I mean, almost all of these documents concentrate predominantly on just three years of his life that we know was his ministry. But here's the thing, when you look at Jesus's life, when you look at what Jesus had to say, often the people who would have recorded his life concentrated on the moments where he stopped. And you just think, hey, surely that can't be the case. But really, it's the case. I mean, in uh, an account by a guy called John in chapter six, if you want to search it up, Jesus is going through this enemy territory uh, of Samaria. And it says that he sits down next to this place of socialization, this well where people are going to get some water. And he sits down because he was tired. Uh, and then uh, in Mark chapter six, uh, there's a moment where Jesus just gets some followers of his and they just draw him away from the crowds because there's so many people and he just retreats for a while just purely because he doesn't want to be where the busyness is, it seems. Whether it's in Matthew chapter eight, where Jesus is on a boat and there's this storm that starts raging on the Sea of Galilee and his followers go to him because they're panicked and they're scared and Jesus is sleeping in the boat. Or whether it's a little bit later in Matthew, I think it's in Matthew 14, where there's the, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. And there are 5,000 people there, and there's just this amazing moment, this amazing miracle. And you think, surely after something like that, Jesus is out telling everyone about it or giving lessons around it. But it doesn't say that. It just says that Jesus retreated to be by himself. Or again, then in uh, Luke, uh, one of the accounts by this doctor called Luke, again, chapter six, it says that Jesus wanted to retreat up to be by himself up a mountain. Or later on, just when Jesus is about to die, when he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane, just before a moment that he knows is going to be so torturous and painful, he retreats to be by himself. These moments don't even include the moments where he goes around people's houses to eat or when he's at weddings or when he's, on, uh, when he's sitting on the beach having a barbecue with his friends. It doesn't even include those moments that are also written about. It seems to be that Jesus was somebody who was known not just for his position, not just for his practices, but also his pace. And it kind of makes you think, why? Why is Jesus known for this? Why were these moments so significant for the people who wrote about Jesus's life to put into these accounts that were going to be known for thousands of years afterwards where people's lives were going to be transformed as a result of them. I mean, if there was one person who could have just caused a miracle in his own life, whereby he no longer ever felt tired, where he no longer ever felt like he had to rest or recoup. I mean, surely there weren't a lack of people, uh, of sick people who needed healing. Surely there wasn't a lack of people who didn't need teaching or telling about who he was. And yet Jesus, so often we find resting and retreating and calling people would do the same. There's a moment where he even teaches this to other people as well uh, in Luke in a chapter, uh, chapter 10, where he goes round some friend's house of Martha and Mary, and he's just there spending time with them. And these two sisters, Martha and Mary, who live in this house, seem to have these two completely different contrasting, uh, uh, yeah, contrasting um, moments when it comes to Jesus. This is what it says in Luke chapter 10. 
But Martha, who was one of the sisters, was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. I mean, maybe you're someone who totally relates to that. When people are over, you're scattered and you're busy and you've got things to do. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister, and I think this is brilliant. I mean, this is the ultimate sibling dig, right? I mean, it's not going to call to mum and dad. It's going, hey, I'm going to pick on you and I'm going to tell on you to the Lord of all the earth. <laughs> Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And you think, surely Jesus is going to do that. I mean, time is short. Life is precious. Go and help your sister. Do the loving thing. But Jesus doesn't do that. There's something more important. It says this, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset. You are fearful. You are worried and upset by many things, but few things are actually needed. Or indeed, only one thing. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her it will not be taken away from her why is it that jesus was just so intent on making sure that people understood not only the things that they did were important but also the pace of life was important i actually think this is the answer if we can go to the next slide the space that we enter outside the busyness outside the jobs and the tasks were designed to be more than just recovery time from busyness, jobs, and tasks. The space that we enter outside the busyness, jobs, and tasks. Hey, do you often find that the week weekend comes around? And the weekend is purely designed, if there's any space in it, if at all, not just to be getting all the jobs done and everything else and all the other stuff that doesn't get done otherwise. If there is any space to rest or relax, it's purely so that we can have another productive week of production, of tasks, of doing stuff. And yet the space that we enter outside the busyness, jobs, and tasks, were actually designed to be far more than that. This is a principle that actually comes all the way through uh, God's story right at the very beginning. Genesis 1, the creation narrative, this beautiful Hebrew bit of poetry. And it talks about how God created these days and filled these days with stuff and doing things. And then at the very end, he separated a day, a seventh day where he rested, where he stopped where he set it apart, where he almost took it away from the other days and raised it on a platform where rest was to reign, where work wasn't allowed. The rabbis uh, who um, sort of commentate on this day don't even really see it as a day. I mean, they sort of see it as a day, but it actually transcends that. They even refer to it sometimes as a bride, as a person who's welcomed in, who's cherished and celebrated and enjoyed. It was going to be this day, the seventh day, that was going to be used in uh, the Israelite laws, whereby they were to take this Sabbath again, where rest was to reign, where joy was to reign. They were going to say no to work. And I think when Jesus lives his life, he sets this example. He sets a principle and a precedent whereby he says, listen, the space that you occupy, the place that you create that go beyond busyness, tasks and jobs, they're supposed to transcend just recuperation so that you can produce more. This space is actually designed for more. It's a space whereby you can understand who I am and who you are supposed to be. That picture of a bride that's welcomed in and, and, and cherished and celebrated and enjoyed almost like this wedding day. Have you ever had a day that's almost felt like that? Have you ever had a day that's just felt so perfect and so relaxing? Maybe it was on a holiday. Maybe it was even years ago for you. It's actually in those days, isn't it, where you just feel most like you. 
most like yourself. It's almost like you transcend from the chaos and the busyness of the world. And actually, that's the space that God calls us into. Not because production is bad, but so that in those moments where production is good, God can work through that and speak through that. But you can be reminded of who he he is and who you are. This is my point. Not Helen Bolton. (laughs) God calls us to create intentional, routine space. Intentional, routine space, not just to replenish us, but to remind us of who he is and who we are. Have you ever considered that those times where you have space, where you are just loving and you can just realize that you're in that transcendent space of knowing who you are, of knowing who God is, where you're enjoying life for what it's supposed to be, that actually God smiles down at you because he knows that's how he's wired you up. Corrie Ten Boone says something uh, absolutely fascinating and something brilliant. I love what she says here. She says this, if the devil can't make us bad, he will make us busy. If the devil can't make us bad, he'll make you busy. Why? Because busyness makes us get into a place whereby we operate from a place of fear of what people are going to think about us, how we're going to think of us, of what's going to happen. And so we fail to drop that badge. And so I think Corrie ten Boone is absolutely right. If the devil can't make us bad, he will make us busy. I want to encourage you right now to start recognizing that there is a space in which you're supposed to operate that goes beyond the busyness and the task that isn't just supposed to replenish you for more busyness and task. And I want to go back to what I said earlier is that I don't know your situation. I don't know your circumstance. I don't know how difficult this is for you. But what I can recognize is that for some of you, far more than for me and far more than I can appreciate, this is going to take a step of faith for you. This is going to take a step and this is actually going to be more of a challenge than just a discipline or a command. This is going to be a step of faith. But when you take that step of faith, it's in those spaces that we can hear the whispers of God in our lives, that we can be reminded of who we are and why we're on this earth. I want to ask you three questions. And maybe you have an answer to these questions as they come up. And I want to encourage you, if you're watching, to stick them uh, in the chat and so that you can encourage others through that. But if not, maybe this is something you want to write down and really put some time to. Here are some questions for you. Number one, when is it that I'm going to commit to an intentional, routine space where I can rest, play, and say no to work? When is it I'm going to commit to an intentional, make it intentional, uh, decide on the day before time, prioritize it, make it intentional, make it routine. Don't make it so that it's just every now and again or when you can find the space. Make it routine ahead of time where you can rest, where you can play, and you can say no to work. Those are the things you've got to try and work on. That's the, uh, yeah, that's the, um, Uh, That's what you've got to decide on, to rest, play, and say no to work. Question number two, what are the fears for me that stop me from putting down the badge of business? What are the fears for you? Is it worrying that people are going to see you as lazy? Are you worried that perhaps you're not going to be seen in the way that you want to be seen as someone who's productive, who's somebody who gets their value from what they produce? Or maybe you're just worried about what would happen if you ever did take a space. And then number three, what are the things? What are the things that I am missing out on that God might be calling me into when I don't let go of that badge? What are the adventures? What are the reminders? What are the things that God is calling you to? What are the journeys that God wants to call you into if only you dared put down the badge?
those spaces should go beyond the busyness and the tasks. They're moments that are just not designed just to replenish us, but they're there to remind us of who you were made to be as a child of God. Maybe for you, it's time to take a step of faith. Let me pray for you now. Father, I'm aware right now as I'm speaking that the people listening to this may well have that thought of you just don't know how it feels. You just don't know how it feels. And I don't. I don't know the circumstances. I don't know the, the issues. I don't know what could be the case if things stopped, but I do know that you, who do know what it feels like, call us into a space that's supposed to transcend just preparing for more production and more busyness and more things, but actually you're there to remind us of who we are as a child of God. And so as we take up that challenge, Lord, I want to ask that you might come through for us, that we might find you in new ways, that we might find new adventures, more joy, more peace, Holy Spirit, would you just rest in the rooms of those who are watching right now? Would you speak to them? Thank you, Lord. You are good. Amen. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content, find a next step, give financially, or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the field. We're looking forward to you joining us next time.